1: Sports Radio 929, the game back with you. In the John Chuckery show, halfway home in the Key Studios on this Monday evening. Hey, uh, for all the NFL news you need, the Odyssey podcast, First and Pod. Danny Parkins from Chicago, Andrew Filipponi from Pittsburgh, bringing you all the latest takes from around the NFL. Episodes drop on Thursdays. Follow First and Pod for free on the Odyssey app or get it wherever you get your podcast from. 4047 929, Solomon Brothers Diamond Text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app so you catch us. On the go, social media at 929 The Game. I'm at JMCH316. Well, Braves get a night off as they continue to try to catch the New York Mets, and we head down the home stretch here. As we do every other month, head out to the waitfor.com hotline. Let's talk to our Odyssey MLB insider, Bob Nightingale. Insider calls are brought to you by driveway.com. Looking for a car? Go to driveway.com, where you can get pre-qualified, buy a car, and get it delivered. And Of course, you can follow Bob on his Twitter page, at B Nightingale. And Bob, let me start with, I know they don't hand out a breakout player of the year award in Major League Baseball, but, boy, you look at what Kyle Wright has done this year at 16-5, and an ERA under three, 140-plus strikeouts and 147 innings pitched. I think he'd be one of the guys right at the top of the list, would he not? Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal year. Uh, You know, it's when people talk about the Dodgers, the Mets. People don't talk about Atlanta enough. Uh, yeah, who wants to face freed and free and right? You know, one two. And uh, that's a tough combination.
1: You know, I'm glad you brought that up because in the start feed in Kyle Wright, the Braves are thirty-five and thirteen this year. Where do you think as far as I mean, I'm not saying that they're sure in degrom. I, but as far as duos when you look across Major League Baseball, to your point, you get to game one and game two of a playoff series. Where do you think they are as a duo in Major League Baseball?
2: Well, just looking at you know the National League, I I, I think I would take them uh, over anybody except for the Mets, and that's you know if Degrom is healthy. I'd certainly take them over the Dodgers, you know duo. You know uh, certainly you know, Milwaukee. The you know, Padres have a good one too with Darvish and Musgrove. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know right around maybe the, the Padres, They'd be tied for second uh, with, with the Padres rotation. I'm trying to think of uh, everybody else, but a uh, certainly take them over Nola and Wheeler, uh, Philadelphia.
1: Odyssey MLB insider Bob Nightingale joining us here on the WadeFord.com hotline. Um, you know, I, I keep kind of joking. Every time Dansby continues the homer, gets another hit, big three-run homer last. That price tag just goes up and up and up. Has he separated himself, do you think, from even some of the other guys? I know Trey Turner's had a really good year himself. But has he really, you know, moved up and past maybe some of the other names that were looked at as being big-money shortstops this year. Has he, I'm not sure how many players have done better for themselves in a free agent year than what Dansby's done.
2: No, I agree. I mean, certainly he should be making more money than he was going to at the start of the season, and hopefully he stays put in Atlanta. Uh, I mean, Turner Turner is unbelievable. He might be top-five players in baseball. Does everything right, uh, you know, especially with the speed and and, and all that. Uh, but you know Dansby's only had a year than Carlos Correa. Uh, he's had a better year than uh, you know Alexander Bogarts. I'm not sure he'll be you know paid as much. Uh, we'll see. Uh, hopefully he stays put. Or no, you know Atlanta really wants to keep him. He wants to stay. You know, we went through that with Freddie Freeman too. But you know he's he means so much to that community.
1: Do uh, with that though, and, and I know this fair or sound nice, but. They have a guy play shortstop that's, you know, what's he hitting uh, right now? He's hitting three twenty-four with a five hundred slugging, and I understand a short sample. But do, do organizations use that against guys that we really want you to stay here? You know, but, I mean, you know, if it's not the right price, you know, hey, Von Grissom can play shortstop for us. I mean, ice, and it's not fair, but it's also business and negotiations,
2: is it not? No, you're right. I mean, I mean, he's got to know that it's like, okay, Atlanta's not, it's not a desperation move. It's not like, okay, if you don't have him, they have got to go get a free agent. They can just, you know, keep Grissom. And who knows with Grissom? I mean, you know, sometimes guys, you know, start off great, then have a, a poor, you know, second year. night before too, it'd be nice to have, you know, just a move around. You know, maybe you'd be throwing left fielder. But, but you're absolutely right. Uh, they will use that against them negotiation. They may not just come out and say it. But they also might make it look like, hey, we want you here, but we don't have to have you. We got we got options.
1: Odyssey MLB insider Bob Nightingale joining us here on the WadeFord.com hotline. The Braves are in a tough spot with Marcelo Zuna. And, you know, look, they've said that they're gonna let the legal process play out and this, that, and the other. We saw the Cubs are gonna, you know, DFA Jason Hayward at the end of the year and they're gonna move on, and that's twenty-three million. They've got thirty-two million, Marcelo Zuna. Who I'm guessing at this point isn't worth a bag of balls in a trade. Why anybody would probably touch him would be crazy. What do you think the likelihood that Ozuna is even around before the rest of the season, or do you think the Braves wait till the off season and then decide what to do with him?
2: I think they wait the off season. I mean, I'm I'm sure they would like to wait until uh, spring has a big spring and able to trade them then. But you know who knows if they want to keep him that long. But I don't, I don't think he'll be in the playoff roster. And uh, see what see what happens uh, there. But yeah, I mean, my my gut tells me, you know, that he'll be gone sometime during the during the uh, winter, even if it's say uh, they're eating you know 90 percent of that contract. And more teams are eating contracts than ever now. I mean, we you know the Angels we saw with a uh, you know pull holes with uh, Justin Upton. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Hayward. We're seeing that all the time now.
1: Bob, let's uh, bounce around a little bit. Um, I'm fascinated by a couple of things going on. First off, is this 185 million dollar settlement between minor league and major league baseball? Um, this sounds like so. This literally sounds like there are thousands of players that are involved. What I, I, I guess I, I have a little bit of, of trouble understanding about what the grievance was that the minor league. Baseball Players Association had with Major League Baseball when they talk about overtime hours and extra sessions and these different things. Can you kind of help me understand a little bit better what this settlement means or why, what was the cause of it, I guess?
2: Yeah, I think it particular a couple of states. I think Arizona and California, uh, too, for sure. Yeah, more like overtime hours. And, you know, uh, these guys are working more than 40 hours a week and they're not getting paid the minimum wage. Unfortunately for those guys in the lawsuit, uh, they're only get they're only getting like three four thousand dollars from it. Uh, the lawyers made the killing. You know, they made the yeah. big money in this thing. Yeah. But the players themselves, and you know, now the union finally says, okay, we'll take the minor leaguers on too. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, you know, sounds good, but you know, are is, is major league players? We really can go on strike because of living conditions for minor leaguers? You no, know, that's not going to happen.
1: Well, and let me ask you about that because that that's the other part of this is the petition going around. Uh, is this in conjunction with the Major League Players Association? Or do you think that it makes more sense to have a minor league players union and a major league players? Have two separate unions because they have two completely different sets of demands and, let's face it, lifestyle and everything else. I mean, it, it, to put everybody under one umbrella isn't always the best solution.
2: Yeah, we'll see how it works. But right now, it's a conjunction. I mean, one big union. I mean, uh, you know, whether you're, you're Max Scherzer, uh, you're in the same union as a A-ball pitcher. So, uh, you know, obviously, you're not get the same benefits. I don't even know if they're going to make the minor leaguers pay dues. That would be hard to do. But I, I think that you know they decided to do it just to keep a, uh, you know, increase the pay a little bit uh, across each level, and maybe to make sure that the uh, they got some better accommodations or single rooms in a road, that sort of thing.
1: So we've heard for decades, Bob, I mean, that that minor league conditions, you know, we talked about minor league organizations that have folded up. A lot of these uh, stadiums need lots of renovation, and this, any other, bad clubhouse, or this, any other. Why is it taking until 2022 when baseball's only been around for about 400 years, it seems like? Why is it now that this is all kind of – Coming to the front, where was this, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago that the minor leaguers wouldn't have been part of
2: the major league union? I think just guys were afraid to say that, thinking, okay, if I say something, uh, my team's going to penalize me. I won't get to the big leagues. Uh, This guy, Harry Marino, he stepped up and started the minor league uh, for advocate group, and uh, he kind of got the ball rolling with players starting to speak out anonymously. But, you know, taking pictures of what their food looked like and six guys to a room, you know, during the season, that sort of thing. So he really got the ball started, and now he's going to be part of the union uh, leadership team himself.
1: Bob, let me ask you um, another one of our Odyssey MLB insiders, John Heyman, I thought wrote a really interesting article about the Oakland A's, who sit right now at 48-81. and And after some of their roster moves, I want to say that it's about a $25 million payroll. When do we get to where there has to start being a floor in spending? Or, I mean, it's absurd what Oakland is doing, and their primary, the, the excuse me, of their ownership group. I know their primary owner or the the head of their group. You know, he's worth like five billion or something like that. It's not like he's poor, but their stadium situation and all this that and the other. Like, how do we? How does baseball let organizations? Get to this kind of point where they're just, just such a bottom feeder, you know, in a professional sport. It's almost embarrassing what the Oakland A's are.
2: Yeah. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it shouldn't happen. Uh, I know during the CBA negotiations, MLB proposed a hundred million dollar floor, and uh, I think that the, the, the uh, tax would go, start at one eighty and of two thirty. So, but the unions always fought the floor, thinking, okay, there's a floor, That means there's going to be a cap one day sort of afraid to just open that Pandora's box. But you're absolutely right. I mean, when you have a, uh, an ownership group that's, you know, intentionally not trying to spend money, you know, it's, it brings down the whole sport. I mean, in the four major sports, no one has the uh, financial disparity like baseball, not even close.
1: Yeah, and, and think about it. I guess from, a, from an economics perspective, wouldn't it still be better to have a cap with a floor than it would be to have no floor and no cap where the way baseball is, six teams can spend a bunch of money. And, you know, when the Rockies, you know, get 35 games out or Oakland's 34 games out, they can dump players for prospects and, you know, have about six bucks in payroll. I mean, I I get the concept that they don't like the idea of a potential salary cap, but won't they all do better? And isn't that what they want is everybody to do better? Wouldn't everybody do better if, if there were more people toward the middle than some real high-top people and some, a vast amount of guys that are really on the bottom of the barrel contract-wise?
2: Well, they would. It just make the game more competitive. I mean, you go into a season, you already know hey, Oakland's going to uh, lose 100 games. That shouldn't happen. Uh, I know the Union will file a grievance, I'm sure, uh, over Oakland, saying you're putting, the, you're putting the money back in your pockets. It's supposed to go to the uh, team, and it's not. Uh, you know, the fans don't show up to get 9,000 a game. Now, Colorado, they haven't played good baseball either, but they're trying over 30000 a game. It's still a uh, a very good product. You know, they tried. They, you know, signed Chris Bryant to that contract. Uh, but, yeah, your team like like is It's embarrassing.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. So, Bob Nightingale is our Odyssey MLB insider, and insider calls are brought to you by driveway.com. Head to driveway.com today to shop more than 25,000 new and used cars in Driveways nationwide inventory. And, of course, you can follow him on his Twitter page, at B Nightingale. Bob, as always, man, appreciate it. We'll talk in a couple of weeks.
2: All right. Sounds great. Take you, care,
1: buddy. You got it. Appreciate it, man. And, um, yeah, I, it is an embarrassment what the Oakland and, – and what's sad about the Oakland A's, when I grew up, Oakland was as dominant a franchise as there was in the American League. Burt Campanaris, Reggie Jackson, Catfish Hunter, Vita Blue, Joe Rudy, Raleigh – Gene Ta- – I can name the whole friggin' roster. Herb Washington was a pinch runner. Remember him? Claudel Washington started there. Don Baylor. All those guys. They're an embarrassment now. And they have a guy who's got billions that's the lead owner of their organization. All right, when we come back, that's life. Um, the Mickey Mantle card closed out. And wait till you hear the number attached to this, plus our top 10 as well. Chuck me to key studios, sports right now, the gamemodic.com app. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. Back with you on the John Chuckbridge Show. 922 live in the Kia Studios. You know what time it is. That's life. That's love. That's what all the people say. 4047410929. Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey, absolutely. Catch catches on the go. Social media is at 929 the game um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter is where you can find the station. At JMCH316 on the Twitter machine. All right, so I gave you a picture, Day-Day, that had nine movies on it, That another one of these Twitter things right. that said pick one. Right. So I'm going to go through the movies real quick. Okay. Hoosiers, Coach Carter, He Got Game, Space Jam, White Men Can't Jump, Blue Chips, Air Bud, Semi-Pro, Up in the Air. Now, before you tell me the one that you picked, Mm-hmm. Tell me the three or four that were easiest to get rid of.
3: Uh, the air up there.
1: Yeah, I agree.
3: Definitely was one. Uh, hold on, let me pull it back up. Bit, but that one's st- oh, blue chips. I just didn't care for blue chips. Okay. And I would say the third one probably was. Uh, let's see here. Third one would have been Space Jam. I didn't. That wasn't for me.
1: So I'm with I think Space Jam's easy to get rid of. Mm-hmm. I think Up in the Air is easy to get rid of. I think Air Bud is easy to get rid of. Well, yeah. And mm-hmm. I think and I think Semi Pro was easy to get rid of. I don't think that's a very good Will Ferrell movie.
3: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't one of his best. It no. definitely wasn't. No. It, it was it,
1: It's kind of ridiculous out there. All right. So with that, what finished second and third on your list?
3: Uh second and third were uh White Man Can't Jump. Ooh, okay. And Hoosiers.
1: Oh, what was number one then, Coach Carter? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because yeah. I have I had White Men Can't Jump okay. as my number one. Okay. And I would have picked Hoosiers number two.
3: Okay. Okay. And
1: okay. probably Coach Carter three because I don't think he got games all that good either. But yeah, no. Ray but, Allen. And, yeah. And magic. Blue Chips is okay, but to your point, it's kind of hokey. Yeah. Uh, Shaq and Penny Hardaway, right girl, yeah. in that movie. Nick Nolte's the coach and yeah. all that.
3: Yeah. Did you see though the the how that movie played a role in Penny getting to the Orlando Magic a little bit?
1: No,
3: uh-uh. Oh, man, which, which special was that? It, oh, it was the ESPN uh, 30 for 30 on the Orlando Magic. Oh, okay. oh yeah, you got to check that one okay. out. Yeah, yeah, because that movie kind of a little bit had played a role in that.
1: All right, so I've talked with you and Dylan both about this mint condition Mickey Mantle 52 Tops card. Yes. Okay. The auction is officially closed and the card has been sold. We talked about it was going to get over $10 million. Right. point. 6 million dollars is what it closed at. 12.6 million dollars, okay? Here are the top 10 most expensive trading card sales okay. in history,
3: okay?
1: Um the Mickey Mantle mint condition card we talked about 12.6 million. Right. A Honus Wagner, that's the famous tobacco card yeah. for 7.25 million. Mm-hmm. There's another Honus Wagner card, that's the same one tobacco card that comes yeah. in at number 3. 6.6 million a 1952 tops mickey mantle that had a psa of nine came in at 5.2 million mm. a lebron james rookie patch autograph card which i think is that triple logo man card that was chased okay. 5.2 million on it um luka Doncic, a one-of-one one logo man auto so it means he's got three logos and his autograph okay. on it 4.6 million Pat Mahomes, a rookie autograph card, four point three million, a Mike Trout, two thousand nine autograph, that's his first Bowman card and it's got his autograph on it, three point nine million, another Hannes Wagner tobacco card, three point seven five million, and a rookie nineteen seventy-nine Opeachy Wayne Gretzky card, three point seven five million. Nice. So twelve Point six million. Alan Rosen paid fifty thousand for that card when he bought it at the at the garage sale. Wow! And he found a stack of fifty of them. I read the story about how this came to be where they found them. Wow! Him. This guy had a closet full of these cards. He had almost fifty different Mickey Mantle. I mean, of all fifty-two tops, but like all kinds of conditions. <laughs> and and the one that he had, they graded it out and it sold for twelve point six. Million dollars. Wow, is that crazy or that what? That is bananas. All right, I put on Twitter the other night. Uh-huh. I'm watching the Braves of the night, but Oceans 13 came on. Okay, now you have the three Ocean- Oceans 11, well, Oceans yep. 12, Ocean- not the originals with Sinatra and these, right? This is the George Clooney, Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. um, Julia Roberts, right? Julia Roberts, yeah. Matt Damon. Okay, Oceans 13, the final one that's the one with Al Pacino. And he screws over Elliot Gould, Mm -hmm. and they got to get him back and all that, right? Right. And and I love that movie. And, And I put on Twitter the other night, for whatever reason, every time that movie comes on, I get sucked into watching it and I can't <laughs> turn it off.
3: Right, and right.
1: I'm watching the Braves when this is on the other, on Saturday night, and I'm like, oh, screw the Braves, I gotta watch it. The- <laughs> and I've seen the movie a thousand times. Right, I know how it ends. I know the dialogue. To I know it. The, right, yeah. right. But again, I can't turn away. I'm so captivated <laughs> by that movie. So tonight's top ten list: the top ten movies that when they come on. You can't turn them off and you have to leave them on the TV day day the floor is yours. All
3: right, so uh first up will be the the rock for me with um with uh Sean Connery right, Nicholas and Nicolas Cage. Cage. Yep. I love that movie, man. Interesting. I just, uh, yeah, uh Boomerang.
1: Oh. Eddie Murphy. Great call. Yes. Yep. All right. Love Boomerang. That is a great movie.
3: Yeah, um my little sci-fi kicks uh or whatever you want to call these. Van Helsing with uh Hugh Jackman. Yeah.
1: Okay. Sleepy
3: Hollow with Johnny Depp.
1: I did not see. I know what that's about. But right, yeah, it's, it's a headless horseman. Right, you right, know, and right. All that. Yeah, but, but it, it, it was
3: like it. a, it was a really cool uh, rendition of it. Okay, big trouble, little China. I mean, because that movie came out when I was a kid and you know, I loved it, man. You know
1: they're talking about remaking. That yeah, movie. and I'm not. I, I'm with you. Don't yeah, remake. It. Yeah, that's yeah, one I, of those. I mean, just leave it alone. Right, exactly. Leave it alone.
3: All right, uh, What Lies Beneath, the remake with Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer. Wow. I love that movie.
1: That's a movie I would have never have on your bingo card. Oh, my wife, passed. every
3: time she... That,
1: you watch that every time it's on. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I would I, I, I could have never have imagined that would be on your bingo card. Oh, yeah. Card. I,
3: love it. Well, I, I love Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer. I love mm-hmm. both of them, and that was just a great movie. Uh, Heat, speaking of uh, oh, wow. Robert De Niro yes. earlier, Heat. Yeah.
1: Uh, that was directed by Michael Mann. Yes. Who has done... He I mean did, he did the bad Boys. He directed he, um yeah. Collateral with Jamie Foxx yeah. and Tom Cruise. Yep. Obviously he did, you know, he's most famous for he did the Miami Vice TV yes. show. Yep. He also did Mindhunter, which is the first yep. time that we see um oh, the 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 cannibal serial killer. Um, uh uh from from Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter. Yep. Right, My, uh, Manhunter. Yeah. He directed that movie. That that's with um the guy that was in To Live and Die in LA, but um Brian Cox is the guy who plays Hannibal Lecter in that okay. movie but he directed that movie Manhunter. Okay, I did um, not know that. Okay. He directed that and, and again he he directed uh Collateral with Jamie yep. Foxx and Tom Cruise and yeah. obviously again the Mi- he did the Miami Vice movie which, Right. Eh. Yeah, the movie was kind of eh. yeah, they could have kept that. That that was not great yeah. casting. Like yeah, that, nah, that I was, was like, what,
3: well, it was Colin Farrell and yeah, I forgot who Jamie played Fox. Tugs. Yeah, Jamie Foxx. Yeah, Jamie Foxx
1: did in mind as much, but Colin Farrell, Yeah, he, didn't, yeah. he, he did not fill in Don Johnson's <laughs> shoes At all very home. well. In that, no. And that movie was just kind of, Yeah, I kind of, nah, well, wasn't you. a great story.
3: Yeah. All right, um, Talladega Nights. Oh, wow. I yes. love it. Uh, Wedding Crashers. Yeah. And then uh, any of the original three Star Wars,
1: and that's it. Okay. So I'm a little bit surprised. Uh-huh. Because I would have thought, because even my list uh-huh. has two Marvel movies okay. on it. Okay. And okay. I would have thought for sure, you being the Marvel junkie, you would have you would have had a couple Marvel movies on there. <laughs> so you've already disappointed me. All right. So I said Ocean's 13. That's okay. that's one of them. Um, Casino Royale, which is Daniel yet. Craig's yeah, that was his first, first outing as James right? Bond. Yeah. I, I, I'm mesmerized by that movie. Okay. Um, the Expendables 2. I didn't
3: see the second
1: one with Jean Claude Van Damme. Okay. Chuck Norris when they're in whatever. Yeah, because they added they
3: added like more oh, yeah, to the ensemble yes, in that one. I didn't did. get to see that and
1: then, one. And I I, I can't. Tr- I love that movie. That airport shootout scene like is just my favorite. <laughs> I love love that movie. Roadhouse.
3: Okay. Um, Patrick Swayze. Yep, okay. I, okay. I just
1: again another one of those movies that it's just always on. In the background. And
3: I think they're remaking that too, or there's been talks yes, about it. So. Yes, they
1: are. Don't even get me started on that. I yeah, know. that's poor Pat Patrick Swayze's turning around yeah grave, Exactly. Um, The Godfather. Yeah. And, and it takes forever, but again, when it's The Godfather's still, on yeah. I just leave The Godfather on. Yeah. Like it's always it's just on. Now my two Marvel what what do you think would my what do you think my two you, Marvel movies are?
3: I would say for you it's one of the Captain America's. I'd probably say Civil War.
1: Okay, you got that one. All That's right, right.
3: Um, because you seem like as long as there's like espionage Civil, type
1: of. Civil War, I'm telling you. Yeah. Civil War is the best Marvel movie mm-hmm. they've done. Like, yeah. that is. It, I yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah. That is. The the scene at the airport in Germany yeah. when they all come together and fight. Yeah. Like that's everything you could want. Yeah. Like that it's not even an <laughs> it's not even an Avengers movie. It's a Captain America yeah, it is. movie, yeah. but it's so good. Yep. What do you think the other one is?
3: Uh I'd have to say take a guess and say Black Panther.
1: No, Endgame.
3: Endga- okay. Endgame. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Endgame I, was good.
1: I really yeah. have become a fan of Endgame. Yeah. You know, and just even all the early stuff, like when they're looking for the stones and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I love that movie. I love... The, and I just saw it for the first time like three years ago or okay. something like that. Okay. So I, I've not been... I did not go and see the theaters and all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Um, Goodfellas. Oh, yeah. Uh, Classic. Love, uh, yeah. When, when Goodfellas on, I just leave it on because it can take like three hours. Yep. Um, I, I, I don't know if I told you or Dylan the other day, but I had an epiphany. Mm-hmm. And... This has now become my favorite movie of all time okay. to watch. Saturday Night Fever.
3: Okay. We talked about it the other uh, yes. last week a little bit. And yeah. so
1: my epiphany was that has now become my favorite movie of all time. Because okay. that is my favorite scene is the dance scene with John Travolta. And I have to watch it at least until that scene. huh. But I still want to see the end when him and the girl dance and he's in the white suit. Right. And they sing more than a woman. Yeah. I got to. <laughs> I got to see all of that. And then my final movie is, uh, you know, I, I love this movie, and I don't understand why they can't make more movies like this. Lethal Weapon. Oh, the Lethal the, Weapons the were original, great. The, the original, origi- not, yeah. not two, not three, but and the certainly original. not four. Yeah, four the, was,
3: yeah, they could have kept that
1: one. They could have kept three as well, too. Yeah, but
3: Three the, was the first one with Pesci. No. Second one with be Yes. Okay.
1: Um, The third one is where he's got the blonde hair. He's on the ice rink and he gets shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the dumb, dumb wound and all yeah. that. But the original the Lethal original Weapon. The original was, yeah. Why can't they make more movies? And that movie is not like, there's not like huge CGI. Mm-mm. It's not a complicated movie. No. Nah. But the two guys are so good in that movie. Yeah. And... Just the chemistry they have, the bad guy, mm-hmm. you know, Gary Busey being the bad yeah. guy. Like, why can't they make movies like that? Yeah. Why? Why can't they? Why can't somebody write a script like that? Yeah,
3: that wasn't that. That is a classic. That is like, a to, classic.
1: To watch that. Now, here's a question for you: As we get to break, uh-huh. is Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie? No. Exactly. No. Because it's not based around. It, Christmas just happens to be the time of year that the movie takes place. See, the difference is Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yeah. Because Christmas is the reason for the
3: movie. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's why they have the party. It's why they come to rob everybody. It's why the cops aren't around. It's it's the reason that everything took place. Yes. And why nobody's at the office Mm -hmm. is because it's Christmas. You couldn't have Die Hard... Filmed on April 13th, <laughs> right? It right. wouldn't make sense. Everybody'd right. be working, yeah. everybody'd be around, but everything is shut down for Christmas. Yes. And that's the base. That's why it's a Christmas movie. All right, hit us up with your list as well. Um, when we come back, let's rack. We had a good conversation with Felipe Cardenas earlier about Atlanta United. Let's rack that. We'll hear that next. Chucker in the Key Studios, Sports Right now at the Game, Odyssey.com app. Yeah, yeah go ahead and play Felipe. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. It is a John Chuckery show live on Monday as, uh, believe it or not, Atlanta United picked up three points uh, yesterday. Good victory over one of the lesser teams in uh, MLS, but uh, they all count the same. And quick turnaround as they get ready on Wednesday to take on Philadelphia. Let's head out to the waitford.com hotline. Atlanta's Ford dealer. Let's talk to our buddy Felipe Cardenas. He, of course, covers all things soccer for The Athletic. Theathletic.com is where you can check out his work and follow him on Twitter at... Felipe Carr. And listen, Felipe, a win is a win is a win right now for United, right? I mean, it doesn't matter who you play. Finding that three points is what was most important yesterday.
4: Of course. I mean, Atlanta United has struggled this season with, with just getting wins, right? Like they haven't won two games in a row all season. And if you look at the, where they are in the standings and, and really the hurdle and the hill that they're trying to climb as they make this late push to the playoffs, D.C. United, the worst team in MLS, the team that is most likely to earn the wooden spoon, which is given out to the worst team, that finished, the team that finishes last in, uh, in, in, in the collective standings in the East and the West. Uh, you look at the schedule that Atlanta United has, and it was like, OK, that's the game that they'll win. They, they have D.C. United at home. D.C. United are shambles. They're struggling. Uh, and Atlanta United, despite the struggles that they've had and just playing complete games, you know, playing a complete 90-minute game, they can beat D.C. United. I honestly went into the match thinking, you know, this could be the game that Atlanta truly needs, like a 3-0 win, a 4-0 win that just gives them the confidence that they haven't had all season. And it wasn't like that. It was quite the opposite. They went down right away in the second half, and they had to fight back. But you mentioned it, John. In the end, they get the three points, and they're still alive in the playoff hunt.
1: So with that, Felipe, obviously we saw Joseph Martinez. He got it going yesterday, got a goal yesterday. You've only got a handful of matches left, and to your point, yeah, you're only a few points back, but you have several teams that you're either tied with, ahead of you, and things like that if you're going to get in the playoff spot. How much does Atlanta United now have to kind of play with their hair on fire? And whether that's getting Joseph back in the starting lineup playing him a lot, whatever it takes. It seems like they have to kind of, I don't want to say push the panic button, but they kind of have to push the panic button a little bit.
4: I agree. I think right now, and based off what we saw yesterday, when Joseph comes on and I tweeted when I saw him warming up and like, he's made his way to the touchline to come onto the field. I tweeted, okay, here comes Joseph Martinez time to be a hero. And he scored like three minutes later. And so and then we saw a different Joseph. I think the fans were like, yes, that's the Joseph Martinez. We've been waiting to see a guy that was very active. He was making the runs that perhaps he wasn't making earlier. I, you know, I think it's twofold. I think his teammates aren't sending the, the balls in from, uh, you know, behind the line that he's so, that he was used to getting in previous years, everything became very static in, in the attack and Joseph was just one other guy on the team that, that wasn't performing. But yesterday it, he really proved that he's still very dangerous and, you leave him alone in the box, like he's going to put it away. And the the alternative, uh, Ronaldo Cisneros, yes, he has seven goals, but he I think everyone understands that he was a Band-Aid. He was the second striker signing that was going to come in and, and just really provide depth, and he has overperformed at times, and other times he's looked, quite honestly, p- pedestrian. He's not the guy moving forward. You know, Joseph Martinez is still the star of this team, and they're going to need him, to your point. They really need him. He has to start. You know, he has to start on Wednesday against Philadelphia, one of the top teams in the league. Because what what Atlanta has been missing throughout the year and, and when the, they go through these stretches where you're not sure who they are and they're figuring out who they are, you know, the swagger has been one of the things that uh, I feel like has been missing the most from this Atlanta United team and, and from the, the club over the years. And Joseph is that guy. Joseph Martinez is that guy that can bring that back and – You've got to lean on him. You know, you've given him the rest. You've done the load management up to this point of the season. You've been here before with him, too, last season when they needed to make a similar run. He wasn't as fit as he is now, and they really pushed him to provide that spark, and he was part of that run, that late run that got L.A. United to the playoffs last season. So why not do it again right now where he has that knees in a better place? And I think he's really hungry to be that guy again. So – Uh, it's, it's to a point where, you know, John, I think the fans also are, are getting tired of, of the sort of results that they see week in and week out, where they're not sure the team is going to, which team is going to show up and they look at the schedule that's remaining. And I'm sure you'll ask me about it, but it's the toughest schedule that of any, in my opinion, of any playoff contending team in major league soccer. And so the fans want to know, can we compete against the best teams in MLS? And you're going to find out in the next few weeks.
1: Felipe Cardenas joining us on the WaitFor.com hotline. Of course, covers all things soccer for the athletic. So let me ask it like this. Is the most frustrating thing about this year the fact that while you have all of these injuries, and we understand that, but your front line and your attacking guys haven't done enough? When, when you have had all those guys healthy, including Joseph, you just haven't gotten enough results out of them this year. Is, is that a fair assessment?
4: That's fair. And that's part of it. That's part of the issue, right? Like I think statistically, and this is where, if you want to look for progress and silver linings or something to look forward to, or something to build off of, I think any, any fan that looks at data and the coaching staff, that I think they really lean on data. uh, They would look at it as, Hey, this is what we're doing. Right. They are creating chances. You know, the the attack isn't as stagnant as it has been in years past, or as it was earlier in the season. Uh, there's a lot there's better movement. They're getting chances. Uh, the famous XG stat, which is basically the, the chances that they create in one game, is, is, is looking good. It's high uh, at the end of the game, but the, they're not clinical enough to put teams away to, to, to have these sort of games where they win three nothing four nothing. And they're in control of the game and they're, they're resting the starters. They're pulling starters out now, like every game is like this battle to just not lose. And, and that weighs on the team, that weighs on the mentality. So the attack is one thing. Uh, I think the, the biggest problem this year, other than just missing important players, has been the defensive solidity. They haven't been solid enough. They haven't been stout enough. They don't cle- keep clean sheets like they used to. Uh, and they allow teams to get back into the game too often. And so that's a concern. And when you get to the playoffs, if this team makes the playoffs, and if you look at the top teams in, in MLS that, uh, that are performing well, and that then they get into the single elimination playoff format, which is very important to know. What you need there is top defending and and goalkeeping. Goalkeeping that's going to keep you in games. Defensive uh, strategies that's going to, that's going to keep you in games. Attacking players that can you know give you brilliant moves and and win games for you. And I think Atlanta just doesn't have that on the back end. They have attacking players. To your point, the chemistry hasn't been there, but really there are too many holes still in order to, to look at Atlanta United as a team that, like, yes, they can get to the playoffs and they can make a run at the final. I think there's too much work to do, but, again, like you said at the top of the, the interview, it's still mathematically there's still a lot.
1: So you asked the question on your Twitter page, who's been Atlanta United's best player. Is there an answer besides Almada this year? I mean, is there really a another legitimate answer to that question?
4: So I asked that question because, and I got the the answers that I needed and that I was expecting. Because I don't think there's, I didn't think the fans would say it is this person, it's this guy. The, you know, there's this, there's one solid MVP for Atlanta United, and I and I was proved correct. I had fans tweeting back at me, giving me four options as the best player, and I asked for one, and so that tells me that there's, it's up in the air. There hasn't been a solid, you know, clear cut most valuable player that is performing at that level all season. And of course this goes back to the, to the injuries as well. So even someone like Andrew Gutman, who a lot of fans uh, mentioned, like he's been in and out of the lineup through injury and he's come back and he's looked like a player that, wow, they could have needed him. They could have used him all season if he was healthy. So that's why he was up there. Thiago Almada, in my opinion, like I would put him in the conversation and probably at the top of the list because he has shown his quality pretty much in every game and he has next level quality. I think he's going to be playing in a, at a higher level very soon in the next uh, season or so. Uh, but even he hasn't been able to be the player that's like just carrying the team on his back and then giving these MVP performances. So I think honestly, John, like there isn't a clear cut answer as who has been the best player for Atlanta United. And that says a lot about the state of the club and, and where they are and, and how they need to rebuild. Uh, Because you look around the league and the top, you know, the MVP candidates right now, like it is, it still baffles me that Atlanta is going, you know, three seasons now without an MVP candidate. Uh, And the players that are up there in MLS are players that are performing, that are scoring, you know, double digit goals, double digit assists, you know, carrying their teams on a weekly basis. And so that's where Atlanta needs to improve. But it, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's an interesting experiment to find out who truly has been that best player for Atlanta in an up-and-down season.
1: Felipe Cardenas joining us on the waitfor.com hotline all things soccer for the athletic. So uh, we have not had a chance to talk since the Darren Eels announcement. And I listened to whatever that thing is they call it nowadays. What is it, the Twitter spaces or squares or rooms or <laughs> whatever, whatever that thing is. And I thought the discussion was – was very interesting, and, and it's why I like talking to you. I, I, you know, in in and I've gone around since then asking people, you think that the difference with this franchise has been that it's not a matter of replacing Miguel Almiron, but they haven't replaced the Nagbees and the Michael Parkhurst and those, those role players that did so many things to help United win. Do you think that's the biggest difference between where we're at now and what we were a few years ago.
4: Yes, uh, it, I think it's a, it's two it, it's twofold the answer because Miguel Almiron is like I talk a lot about this a lot like the curse of Miguel Almiron, like someone floated that to me. uh uh, last season and just like in a private conversation that I was having and it's it just stuck with me because it's not hasn't only been Atlanta United's problem it's been MLS it's been a problem for MLS to find that player that has been like Miguel on that you bring over he plays two seasons he becomes a star and then you sell him for 30 million dollars to the premier to a premier league club and I I feel like so many clubs not just Atlanta United like saw that proof of concept and said that's what we want to do and it's really hard to do. It's really hard to find that player that can not only is at that, that level of Miguel Amaron, but then comes here and shows it consistently and just turns the league around. Uh, so that's been a problem because Atlanta's been after that jewel, you know, that big signing. They can they have the money, they have the funds to outbid European teams for some of these players in South America, Atlanta United does. So that's been a benefit to them, but they haven't hit on these signings. And so uh, if your strategy is to just spend and find the top players and the most expensive player, or the, perhaps the, the top U20 player in South America that everybody wants, uh, I, I don't think that's the best strategy. It's proving to be one that is perhaps only standing on one leg because you mentioned some of the other players that are that have been part of the championship season that are in MLS, domestic players that understand this league, uh, that 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 are experienced. And also are just very good soccer players. You know, Michael Parkhurst has not been replaced. Like that sort of savvy, that intelligence uh, is just not on this team anymore. I I talk a lot about Jeff Lorenowitz, Like we talk about Nagby a lot, but I feel like, you know, the guy that they haven't replaced is a Jeff Lorenowitz, like a garbage pail guy, like a lunch pail guy, uh, blue collar, uh, really smart and playing multiple positions. And all he does is allow the creative players to do their thing. And so Atlanta has shifted – really the pivot has been so sharp to like younger players, more expensive players. And I think that is something that the front office moving forward, you know, when, when Darren Eels replacement is in the office come January, like he's this, this person, he or she is really going to have to, I think, uh, reevaluate the strategy right now um, as far as roster building and, and make a decision if this is the right way to go. If the season ends on October 9th with a loss to New York city and they don't qualify for the playoffs, they're going to atlanta will be facing i think their third rebuild in a row and and that says a lot about where the front office is right now i think the decision makers in atlanta arthur blank steve cannon they understand that one of the goals is for atlanta's executive team the president and the sporting director currently carlos pokenegger those people in charge need to be the top some of the top executives in major league soccer and and they're not at that point anymore and so there's a lot to fix, I think, from an organizational standpoint that will eventually trickle down to what you see on Saturdays. And and for now, it's just like this is who they are. These are the players that they have. I think there's effort there, and there's some potential, but it's not a championship-caliber team.
1: Last question, Felipe. Just I literally got about 30 seconds left. What do you think the total points that Atlanta United needs to look at if they're going to be a playoff team this year? Where do they Where do they need to kind of land?
4: Well, you know, math was always my worst subject, John, and it still is my worst subject. But if I'm looking at the table right now, Columbus is sitting at 36. I mean, Atlanta—they need to be look—they need to be looking at 40 points at least. I think you know they have to hit the 40-point mark and then hope that some results go their way. Right now, they're at 33. Uh, they face everyone ahead of them. They face Toronto. They face New England. Uh, Orlando, New York City, Philadelphia, everyone that is in a much better spot than them. So if I, I don't have a magic number, but right now at 33, and the the games that they have left, they've got to be in that 40 point range.
1: Well, we will see. Uh, and it starts up pretty quick here as a quick turnaround on Wednesday. Follow him on Twitter at Felipe Carr. Check out his work at theathletic.com. Felipe Cardenas joined us here on the com hotline. Felipe, as always, man, appreciate it. Thanks for a few minutes to uh, this evening.
4: Anytime, John. Thanks for having
1: me. You got it. John Chuck, we will be back. Sports now to the game in the Odyssey.com app.
0: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio.